Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live, featuring Dr. David Wilson, we continue our series called Hope, a series in 1 Peter. We're in chapter 5 today, verses 1 through 4. In this passage, we deal with questions about church leadership. What is an elder or shepherd? What are his duties to be, his character like? What pitfalls should church leaders avoid as they minister to the people of God? Let's find the answers together as we open our Bibles to 1 Peter 5 and listen to this week's message, Counsel for Church Leaders, from Pastor David Wilson. You have your Bibles, open them to 1 Peter chapter 5. Don't ever take for granted the choir and orchestra and the praise team, they'll do such a good job. You're slow, but you're getting there. (laughs) It's God's word we're about to read. Would you stand while I read it? Verse 1, chapter 5. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly according to God, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over them, over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the leadership of Southcrest. There are so many men and women who faithfully lead. We pray for encouragement today, for challenge, and that you would help us take something home. Put your word in our hearts as we leave today and help us to follow and serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Pastor got sick one Sunday morning, and so they had to call in a substitute preacher. And when he got up to preach, he said, you know, a substitute preacher is like a piece of cardboard in a broken window pane. He fills the space, but after all, he's not the real glass. Well, he proceeded with his sermon, and after the service, a lady approached him to try to pay him a compliment and said, you weren't a replacement after all. You were a real pain. (laughs) I've had some interesting things told me after sermons, but I've never had anybody tell me that was a real pain yet. Something tells me that'll happen today. The longest sermon, Guinness Book of World Records, longest sermon, 2014. Friday, started on a Friday, November the 7th, went through Sunday morning, November 9th, 53 hours and 18 minutes. We're going to break that today. The doors are locked. (laughs) 
um, two and a half day sermon. Um, his name was Zach Zender of Cross Church in Mount Dora, Florida. He preached 45 of his own sermons and displayed more than 600 PowerPoint slides as he moved from Genesis to Revelation. Now, according to the newspaper, to comply with a Guinness World Record book, he had to speak to a minimum of 10 people the entire time, and there had to be two independent witnesses to sign off on its validity and monitor his break times. He could take a break every hour for five minutes. Well, to ensure these rules were met, the church members formed groups. And so they just sort of rotated in and out. By the time it was getting close to the end, there were several hundred there. But the sermon was done as a fundraising event to raise money for a local drug and alcohol recovery center. But it kind of gave me an idea thinking that if I started now and preached until we got this building paid for, Actually, people wouldn't pay me to preach a long time. They'd pay me to preach shorter. So anyway, I'm not going to preach a long time. But I do want you to know, don't complain if I go 30 minutes, okay? It could be 53 hours and 18 minutes. I go verse by verse through the scripture. And when you do that, you can't skip places. Or I would have skipped this this morning. Because I feel like I'm preaching to myself today. So if you'll be patient and listen to me preach to myself, it'll be nice. However, I want you to know it's not just to me. And God um, confirmed that to me after the last service when someone came up to me and said, you know what, I really needed that today. Because God's word never returns void. It may be aimed at some particular group or he may be writing to some particular group, but he always has a way of speaking to our hearts. And so today, if you're any kind of leader especially in the church. These words are for you and for me. We're going to talk about leadership. You remember that the context, people are suffering. They're going through difficult times. They're being persecuted. They're being ridiculed because they're a child of God. And so now he speaks to the leaders of the church and he said, now I want you to, you need to do something. There's some things that you have responsibilities to do and don't you forget them. So he begins at first with what I call the appeal I exhort you, he says. To the elders, I exhort you. That same word is used in chapter 2, verse 11, where I, he says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. He, he, he's, saying, he's saying, I'm exhorting you. And exhort is not just a, a mere, if you feel like doing this. It's, it's a nice command. That's the way I put it. It's a command, but it's done in a nice way. But he's saying, it's really not an option. I exhort you. I implore you. I beseech you to keep on doing what you're supposed to be doing. And then he addresses the leaders. He says, to the elders among you. To the elders among you, I exhort you as a fellow elder. There are three words used in verses 1 and 2 that describe the office of a pastor. The word elder is the word presbyteros. You get the word presbyterian. It, it means oversight. The word shepherd is a verb form. In verse 2, is shepherd the flock of God. 
and, and it, it means to take oversight. And then the word episkopos is the word take oversight here in just a minute where he says to oversee what's going on. And I believe these words all describe the same office. There are a lot of different combinations of these forms today in different church government. Some believe that elders run the church, and there's an argument for that. However, there's an argument also for this being the pastor. There's never an argument for a pastor to be a dictator. He's not the supreme ruler. He's not the, the uh, owner of the church. He's supposed to be a leader, but but I want you to understand that I'm not the only leader in this church. We have a group of pastors that sort of focus, are sort of... Uh, um, perform like elders. We, we make decisions together. There's no, we don't own this church. We don't make all the decisions for the church. We believe that God is the shepherd of this church and he is the, uh, he will direct his people. But these terms focus on several aspects. For example, elder focuses on the character of a person. 1 Timothy 3, 1 uh, through 7 and Titus 1, 5 through 9 makes it clear that it's not necessarily what impressive gifts a person has, it's that they're supposed to be men of God. They're supposed to be godly people. There's no perfect ones, obviously. And, and, a, and a pastor doesn't set himself up as the godly example for everybody to follow. Now, you be sure and be like me. But you need to understand that there's no hierarchy among Christians. They're, we're all equal in Christ. We've all been saved by grace. I'm not any better than you when it comes to the kingdom of God. I was saved the same way you were by repenting of my sins, inviting Christ into my life, and committing my life to him. He's just given me a different responsibility than he's given some of you. But there's no hierarchy here. It's not the pastor's up here, the people are down here. We're all equal in the kingdom of God. The word overseer or episkopos is used interchangeably with elder in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, and Titus 1, 5. It looks at the function of the office, to oversee, to manage the affairs of the church, to see what's going on, to see the direction. And then the word shepherd or the word pastor focuses on the task, to provide leadership, care, feeding, and protection of God's people. Now, what I said, there was no hierarchy. God has always called out people to lead at times. When he needed to have a deliverer for the children of Israel, he called out Moses. When he needed someone to defeat the Philistines, he called out a shepherd boy named David. When he needed somebody to build a temple, he called out Solomon. When he needed someone to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, he called out Nehemiah. When he needed somebody to plant churches in the Roman Empire, he called out Paul. And so to this day, God is still calling out individuals to provide leadership to people, especially in his church, in his flock. The early church was a priesthood of believers. We're all equal in the sight of God. We all have access to God through Jesus Christ. We believe that we are part of the priesthood, that there's not a set up group that, that they have access to God and them alone. God remedied that when Jesus died on the cross and tore the veil out of the, the temple or tore it in front of the Holy of Holies and said, you all have access to God. When you need somebody to pray, you can pray. You don't have to say, Pastor, would you, I need you to talk to God for me. Well, I'd be happy to pray for you, and I can do that. But you have the privilege to talking to God. You are part of the priesthood of all believers. So there's no hierarchy. 
However, there are responsibilities given in the early church, pastors, and then if you go to Acts chapter 6 and you find the first deacons, as we call them, you find a distinguished responsibility that the apostles were in charge of the word of God and teaching the word of God and prayer and the, and the deacons were more in charge of the physical needs and ministering to people because the church was growing so rapidly and so deacons were, were brought in. And when Paul and Barnabas were on their missionary journeys, they appointed elders in every church in Acts 14. He summoned the elders of the church in Acts 20. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so the word elder is really synonymous with pastoral leadership. But I want you to understand it doesn't mean that they're the only authority. It doesn't mean that they own the church. It doesn't mean that they're the only ones that get a word from God. And Peter doesn't pull his apostle card here. In fact, the only time you find the word fellow elder is right here in verse 1 where he said, I am a fellow elder. Now, he could have pulled out his apostle card. The apostle, you know, I mean, after all, he was one of the big 12. And actually, he was part of the elite three of the big 12. He didn't pull that card. He said, I'm a fellow leader, pastor of the church just like you. Now, we would have held him in high esteem. You know, we, we put people in high esteem around the country. Have you read so-and-so's book? And have you read this? And they're sort of up here, and the rest of us are sort of down here. Peter would not have liked that. In fact, Peter was letting you know right there he wasn't the first pope. He, you couldn't have put a, a, a robe on him and a, a, a staff in his hand. He wouldn't have taken it. He said, I'm a fellow elder. I'm a fellow believer. I'm a fellow leader just like you. He said, I did witness, in verse 1, I did witness the sufferings of Christ. He said, I know you're suffering, but I want you to know I saw Christ suffer. And he said, but I'm also a partaker. And that word partaker means koinonia, is fellowship. I'm also a, a fellowship of the glory. I was there on the, the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus transformed right in front of my eyes and the glory of God was on him. I was there when the glory of God was shown when Jesus died on the cross. I, and I will be there when the glory is revealed. When Jesus comes again, it will be revealed but what I want you to note out of this is that the requirement for shepherding is a close personal relationship and experience with Christ. He's saying you don't lord it over anyone. You're given a tremendous responsibility. Amen. He appeals to the elders and then he reminds them of their assignment. Now folks, if you've have the mantle of leadership on you today. This applies to you. We've got a lot of leaders here. We have pastors. We have, um, we have a staff. Some of you are deacons. Some of you are Sunday school teachers and small group leaders. Some of you are care group leaders and so forth. Some of you are on committees. Some of you serve in many capacities in this church. So you have the mantle of leadership on you. 
You have responsibilities. And they're very clear here. And speaking of this assignment that he has given the leadership, especially the pastor, he speaks of this assignment in a couple of ways. He first, you'll notice the duty that we are given. It says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. The word shepherd is the word, it's a, it's a, um, a, a verb form here, but it's the same word that Jesus used when he talked to Peter in John 21 after the resurrection at the Sea of Galilee when he said, Peter, do you love me? And he asked him three times. And each time he said, tend my sheep. Same word, shepherd my sheep. Tend them. So isn't it interesting that now Peter is quoting what Jesus said to shepherd, to tend the same flock. He He's saying, you need to shepherd the flock. And that basically concentrates on three things. You're to feed the flock, lead the flock, protect the flock. That's what a shepherd does. He leads, he feeds, he protects. Good shepherds feed God's flock. One of the reasons that I preach verse by verse most of the time with the exception of occasionally we'll do a a special series on a family or something like Christmas or whatever. But most of the time you come in here, we're going to pick up right where I left off last week. And the reason for that is, is because the only nourishment that a healthy Christian gets is from God's word. You're not interested in my opinions. You're not interested on how cool I am and and what I look like and all of that stuff. You're interested in what God has to say about you to you from his word. And the only reason that you grow is by you taking his word as food. That's why I attempt to try to keep my sermons simple, which because I am simple-minded, they are going to be simple. But, but you've got to make it in a way that little lambs can eat some of it too. And, but here's the, folk, here's the thing. Another reason I preach verse by verse is because you don't get to skip any of it. So you have to deal with all the hard stuff you come to that nobody wants to talk about. Even some of it is controversial. It's not to me, but in our society it would be deemed controversial. But you deal with God's word, but, but you feed the flock. You teach them the word of God. When you teach Sunday school and small groups and Bible studies during the week and whatever your group you're in, if you are imparting the word of God, you are feeding the flock. Don't give them junk food. Give them the word of God. They don't care what you think. Everybody in here's got more than one opinion. And our opinions change. Teach them the Bible. Teach them to feed on the word of God. A good shepherd also protects the flock. It means we care for people when they're hurting. Our model is the chief shepherd. That's how he was with Israel. Isaiah 40, 11 says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young It's no accident that God has compared us to sheep. Actually, it's kind of insulting. You know, 
He didn't compare us to horses or other animals. He compared us to sheep. Because sheep and humans are a lot alike. We have a mob instinct, our fears, our timidity, our timidity, our stubbornness. We have habits. For example, to shepherd a flock is difficult. Sheep have to be led to water. A sheep cannot find water on its own unless it just stumbles on it. Can't smell it. You have to take them to water. And you have to take them to good food. They can't find food on their own. If they find something, they not only eat the grass, they'll eat the roots and eat the dirt. So you got to keep moving them around to green pastures so that they can eat. Sheep got to be kept quiet and calm because they frighten easily. Clap of thunder, a rabbit running through can spook them. A shepherd has to pull any poisonous weeds out of the grass because a sheep's too dumb to know what's good and what's bad. They'll eat all of it. They have no way of protecting themselves. They can run, that's it, but if a wolf comes, they don't put up a fight. If they go astray, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes a shepherd has to break the leg of that sheep to keep them in the flocks, and then they'll finally stay in there because they keep running off and running astray. A sheep can sometimes roll over on its back, and it's called a cast sheep. And if they get in that cast position, they can't get up. They die unless the shepherd helps them get back on their feet. So strong Christians, weak Christians, backsliding Christians are all sheep that need love and protection and care and direction and discipline. And for the shepherd, there's no greater reward than to see the flock of God being content, well-fed, safe, and flourishing and growing in the Lord. My desire, most of all, is to see you come and grow in the Lord. So along with this duty, we're supposed to shepherd the flock of God. He mentions what I've labeled some dangers. Now, he doesn't say it that way, but basically he's got some qualifying phrases here. He says, now, as you shepherd the flock of God, here's some things you don't do that, are, that could easily, you could easily do. So I call them dangers, dangers of leadership. First of all, there's a, a danger in your motivation. He says in verse to not by compulsion, but willingly according to God. You don't do it because you have to. Now, I've got to confess to you, there have been times in my life when I have volunteered to do something because no one else would volunteer to do it. And so, I mean, I, it's not that I didn't do it willingly, but I felt more drafted than I did volunteering. Sometimes we have to do things we don't feel like doing. Your feelings don't get involved here. If you live your life by your feelings, you're going to be way off base most of the time. Obviously, there's discipline. We're told, Paul tells that if a person aspires to the office of elder, it's a good thing. But he goes on to say there are a lot of qualifications there. But you don't do it because you want to. That's why he put in this phrase, according to God. God calls you to do it. 
Not because you feel like, well, I feel like that'd be a cool thing to do, or I feel like that's something I want to do. One of the struggles I had growing up in a pastor's home is that I didn't respond to the call of God because my dad was a pastor. I had to make sure, God, is this what you want me to do? Because it'd be real easy for me to do it because my dad does it. And so I'm sure a lot of people thought that. But you do it because according to God's plan, you serve gladly because God's called you into it. Because I want to tell you something. If God doesn't call you into it, young people, you won't stay in it. I can't tell you how many times I have written out my resignation on Monday and not turned it in. I heard of a pastor who finally got fed up because of personal problems. He, he resigned his church. He's going to get a job. But he had trouble finding a job. Finally, he found one at the local zoo. The gorilla, the favorite animal in the zoo, had died. It's a favorite animal. And because kids all came and wanted to be part of it and see the, the gorilla, the zookeeper decided... We need to have somebody fill in for the gorilla until we get another one. So they had a gorilla suit. Pastor put it on. He said, I want you to go out there and act like a gorilla. Turns out he loved it. Man, it's a great job. He said, first of all, the kids love you. He said, second of all, you can eat all you want. He said, the third thing is you can nap in the middle of the day. You can do anything you want. He loved it. Consequently, it went well for a while. The more he acted like a gorilla, the more comfortable he became doing it. One day, he decided he was going to try the trapeze. <laughs> so he took off flying around and suddenly lost his group, grip. And not only did he fall off, but he went over the fence, landed in another cage. And when he came out of his daze, he woke up to a lion walking right toward him. And all of a sudden, he thought, I've got to get some help or I'm going to die. He started hollering, help, help. The lion said, be quiet, stupid. We'll both get fired. <laughs> there are going to be days when you feel like, I'd rather be a gorilla in the zoo. I'm telling you, you do it because God called you. You don't want to do it because you have to do it. Now, folks, listen, there are days, you know, I've told you before, there are days you just don't feel like doing it, but you've got to do it because that's the, that's the responsibility that God's given you. But in general, you can't see yourself doing anything else because God has called you to do it. God's put you in places of positions of leadership now, and you want to make sure that your motivation is pure. The second danger is in materialism. He says, you don't do it for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not greedy for material profit. It's the opposite of, I mean, the opposite of serving under compulsion is serving eagerly, but some serve eagerly for the wrong reason. They either want financial gain or prestige. Paul said, it's proper for elders to be taken care of, especially those that teach the word of God. But, but a lot of times a person's motives in ministry can be for whatever gain you get. I don't think any of you are teaching Sunday school for monetary gain. But, but you know, there are a lot of people today that are an embarrassment to Christianity to me because it seems like all they're after is money. 
I, by the way, I want you to know that I was given the first penny today, this morning, when I walked into the building, toward my new $54 million jet. <laughs> if y'all don't know what I'm talking about, just read the news. One of these televangelists, God told him he needed a new $54 million jet, his fourth one. I'm telling you, that kind of stuff is wrong. It's just wrong. And, and as a leader, you're supposed to make sure that you don't give the appearance that all you're after is money because you're not. That's not why you do it. You don't go into the ministry for the money. And another danger is in the methods. It says not lording over others, not being a, a, a dictator. Some go into ministry because they like the power. They want the power to tell other people what to do, and they want the power to be in charge. Well, I want to tell you, being in the ministry is like herding cats. There's <laughs> not much power there. It's interesting that in the Eastern culture, the shepherd walked in front of the flock, leading the flock. In Western culture, the shepherds are behind the flock, driving them. We need more shepherds that lead the flock. And, and then I don't want you to miss that term, the flock of God. They belong to God. You're, you're dealing with God's people. This is not my church. This is not your church. Don't you ever come in and say, this is my church. No, it's God's church. You're part of his flock. And so you have to remember, you know what? I'm dealing with God's people, not my people. I'm dealing with the flock of God. And so sometimes, you know, the flock of God can, they can be difficult at times. Well, he mentions the duty, and then he mentions the dangers, but, but uh, then he also mentions what I call the dedication. In verse 3, he said, you don't be lords over people, over those, and by the way, the word entrusted to you means the people that have been given to your care. God has portioned out a part of his flock to you. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you've got a portion of God's flock. If you're a care group leader, you've got a portion of God's flock. If you're a deacon, you've got a portion or you're part of helping take care of God's flock or what, who, whatever you do, any kind of leadership. If you're on a committee, you've been given a responsibility for a portion of God's flock or not all of it or if, it might be all of it. Leadership is a responsibility. It's not a privilege if a man is into leadership for the perks or status or power or prestige, there's abusing a sacred trust. Leadership, whether it's in the home or the church or the government, means you're the one whom God holds accountable for the direction that place is going. And here he says that you're to be an example. Deacons, you're supposed to be an example. Sunday school teachers, you're an example. Care group leaders, uh, committee members, whoever you are, you're an example to the flock. People are watching you. And so when God entrusts you with a little bit of a leadership, he's saying you need to make sure you're leading by example. Now, I know none of us are perfect. Pastors aren't supposed to ever, I, you've never heard me say, I'm your perfect example. You be just like me. I want you to be better than me. 
because I know I'm not a perfect example. But I do feel the responsibility that because I am the leader, there are some things that I need to lead out in. There are some things I don't need to participate in because I need to be an example. Holy Spirit will lead you on that one. So the requirement for shepherding is a close personal experience with Christ. The responsibility is to exercise oversight with the right attitude. And finally, notice the anticipation. I like this verse. When the chief shepherd appears. Jesus called himself the good shepherd in John 10, 11. The author of Hebrews calls Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep, Hebrews 13. Here he's called the chief shepherd, which means the boss, <laughs> which means God, means the ultimate owner. If some of you are in leadership positions in your business and you're, a, the, you're, you're the manager or, and, and you've got a manager ahead of you, a regional manager or the big boss or whatever, and you know when they come, you start getting things in order, don't you? Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears, he's coming when he appears. Did you know Jesus is going to come check on his church? In fact, Jesus is going to come take his church. And we're taking care of God's church and the chief shepherd's going to appear and he's going to say, how did you take care of my flock? How did you take care of that portion that I gave you? Hmm. He said, you need to understand that you will receive the crown of glory. Two, two crowns in the New Testament. I'm just about finished. It's a lot shorter than 53 hours, right? Two crowns, diadema. Diadem, it was a kingly crown. Speaks spoken of in the New Testament. That's the kind of crown Jesus has. He's the king. But a Stephanus crown was the crown that they won at the Olympics or a crown that was given somebody to um, recognize some achievement, some way they had earned it. And it was usually made of leaves and flowers. And of course, you know that cut flowers don't last very long and then they fade, they die. And here he says, but one day you're going to receive some kind of acknowledgement that won't fade away. Right now, I want to tell you the hardest part about ministry, period. Whether you're a Sunday school teacher, what you're teaching in the children's area, where, wherever you are, any kind of ministry, you mark this down. The frustrating thing about ministry is that you don't always see results now. You can be a painter, you can work all week, and you can step back and say, there's the house I painted. You can be a builder, a framer, look, there's the house that we frame. You can be a mechanic, there's the automobiles that I repaired and put back on the road. But you can serve in a ministry of any kind, and you walk at the end of the week, and you go, did anything happen? But you keep on going. Because one day... I believe when the scripture says that blessed are they who die in the Lord for they rest from their labors and their works do follow them. You see, the final tally's not in for ministry because the lives that you touch, touch others and those lives touch others and those lives touch others. You've never heard of Harry Hooper. <laughs> Harry Hooper, 
was a boy Sunday school teacher, El Dorado, Arkansas, when I was a little boy. He was also the coach of our baseball team, Harry Hooper. I don't remember one lesson he ever taught, not one. But I remember he loving us boys. We had a losing season every year, baseball. Didn't bother Mr. Hooper. He stood out there with us. He loved us. Now, you know, I think Harry Hooper has fruit he doesn't know anything about. Because he touched my life. And that's the way God's kingdom is. So if you've been given responsibility, do not abuse. Do not abuse that leadership. Now, here's what I want to do. I want every deacon, every Sunday school teacher, every committee person, every person that's any kind of leadership, pastors, deacons, if you teach in the children's area, you're probably not in here, you're probably in the children's area, but, but any kind of responsibility that you have at this church, I want you to stand right now, and I'm going to pray for you. So would you stand? Okay, church, I want you to look around. These are some of your leaders. A compelling message from Pastor David Wilson. Here in 1 Peter 5, the apostle gives some wise counsel to those who have been tasked with leadership in the church. They are to be careful to serve with pure motives, not self-interest, not for material gain, dedicated to living godly lives as an example to others. Peter says that those who lead faithfully can live in anticipation of the Lord's approval and an unfading crown of glory. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.